Good evening, everyone. This is Laurel Hightower. You are listening to Ink Heist. I am here with my co-hosts, Rich Duncan and Shane Douglas Keene. And tonight we are joined by S.H. Cooper. Um, she is the author of a wide array of different uh, things. She's got um, The Corpse Garden from Twisted Roots, The Festering Ones, The Knight's Daughter, and uh, currently she's got a new release that's coming out. Is it August 15th? 14th. 14th, uh, called All That's Fair. Um, she is also the well-known author of the Writing Men uh, set, uh, and and that is just taking Twitter by storm. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We're very <laughs> glad you're here. <laughs> oh, this is a good start. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got your name in the right order, though, so you're already doing better than Ken McKinley. Sorry, Ken, about that. <laughs> But <laughs> um, so there's per usual... a lot less likelihood that we're going to call Sarah half chub too. So. <laughs> I mean, I'd understand if you did. <laughs> well, we uh, we usually start out by doing kind of a new kid at school sort of intro. So take it away. Go ahead and, and uh, let let everybody know what you got going on. Oh, I hated this part of classes growing up. <laughs> Okay, well, like you said, I'm S.H. Cooper. I've been a writer for a number of years, but I just started doing it in the public sector about four years ago um, on the Reddit sub forum, um, No Sleep, and I got picked up on the No Sleep podcast, and then I kind of infected Twitter, and from there, I've devolved into writing um, How to Write Men, as you said. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really the apex of any career. I mean, it's all downhill from here, I guess. I think so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of cool, Sarah. I don't know if uh, that's where you got, like, your very, very first start in writing, but I thought it was cool that you kind of posted a lot of your early stuff to the No Sleep Forum on Reddit. Um, I don't have a Reddit account, but I've often fallen down the kind of Reddit rabbit hole reading those kind of stories, like on No Sleep. And then there's a couple others that I think that are like they're kind of fiction based, but they try and set them up like they're true stories. And I was just kind of curious, you know, what kind of inspired you to, you know, start putting your writing out on Reddit? Like, were you involved with Reddit beforehand or did you kind of stumble across uh, No Sleep? I had actually never even heard of Reddit. Um, uh, when I was much younger, I wrote all the time. Um, when I was 11, I wrote what was the first iteration of The Knight's Daughter. Um, and that took up, you know, from when I was 11 until about 17 because it's a trilogy. And then I kind of fell out with writing. I went on to get an English degree. I have a paralegal degree. But writing for pleasure took a backseat. And I was very frustrated by that. And I felt like I was behind this writer's block for a number of years. And my sister um, said to me, hey, you love horror. I love horror. Why don't you go to this subreddit that I frequent um, as a reader and maybe post something? So I said, okay. And I wrote a really short story for my first one, posted it, and did pretty well. So I was like, oh, that that's cool. And you get that instant kind of ego boost. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing this for my ego. I understand that totally. That's what I got. My soul, my soul audience is my ego when I write. Well, I think that's, 
it's such a cool venue for it too, because it's such an instant feedback sort of a scenario. Um, and I know that I've read one of yours where, and I'm, I'm not super familiar with like the differences in the forms, but it did appear that quite a few people thought that it was truthful and were very concerned about your well-being. <laughs> so. I've had a few <laughs> where people were very concerned about, you know, what I've been through. But on Reddit, um, on the No Sleep Subform, what makes it unique is people have to act like it's real. So oh, you'll see in every yeah. comment, people are like, um, oh, my God, OP, you know, original poster. Uh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I have been DM'd by people who are like, did that really happen to you? <laughs> and I'm just sitting going, no, my grandfather's, God rest their souls, did not come back and save me from an intruder by screaming out of teddy bears. But thanks also, for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, but that cost God, me I so much sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one that like I started reading that one night before bed, and I was like, motherfucking talking teddy bear no nope nope Loosen <laughs> yeah. that up nope i don't give a fuck if it's grandpa no way <laughs> <laughs> well what gets me is that's actually my most popular story hands down um and when i posted it i was sure people were going to hate it because it wasn't really like there's no monster yeah the bears talk but then it's a happy ending. So I was like, oh, this is kind of going to be trash. But I like wholesome horror. And that kind of spun out from there, starting with Fran and Jock, um, where people started saying that all I do is wholesome horror. So I kind of built a little bit of a niche there. But at the same time, it's like, no, I also murder children really in terrible ways. You can read those too. <laughs> I was gonna say that's definitely not all of them because there was the, there was another one in that same collection about the I can't think of the name of it but it was it might have even been the second story where she's like she gets that sort of premonition that her daughter's in trouble. Oh, um, that is not wholesome. <laughs> all the signs were there. That was yeah. one of my least yeah. well-performing stories on No Sleep. <laughs> that was no, that was like intense, but yeah. I was I would not classify that in her <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, or like uh the one that I read, because um, 'cause I'm I'm a relatively new reader, but um I read the festering ones earlier in the week. I think I read it like in one day, but yeah, I, I don't think I would classify that one as wholesome either. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean it has lots of arms to give you bigger hugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in my house it's utterly biblical. <laughs> it's, it's I thought it was wholesome. It's like, oh. <laughs> I mean, you don't know what they're gonna do when they get you underground, you know. I know. <laughs> yeah. There could be snacks under there. I don't know. I'm sure she glad you said that. <laughs> and they had a good talk and they, you know they discussed points of view and then she let him go and he was just like you know this is my chance to get away from that annoying kid i had i'm outies <laughs> this sounds a lot like me explaining like the horrible points in disney to my kid it's like oh, littlefoot's mom is fine she's she's sleeping i can't explain that big hunk that's bitten out of her back um i think she had a mole removed but you know what? She's going to meet him at the Great Valley. Okay, then. A good time was had by all. 
at least till you got to the Great Valley. Hope, hopefully, he forgot that then. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. no, that's been a while. Kids are kids are resilient. Yes. <laughs> well, um, do you want to? I mean, I feel like I feel like one of the just the coolest things about your repertoire here is that you you really do. I mean, you've got a, a lot in the horror sector, but you know, the Knight's Daughter is very much a departure from that. Um, and it's, I think you, so you said you had started working on that when you were 11. Is that right? Yeah, I actually wrote the entire novel length manuscript when I was 11. I wrote the second one um, and then I started the third and then I just sort of stopped. I don't know why. Maybe you were, maybe you were burned out by that point. That's a lot of writing for, yes. you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of commitment to it. But I, I think that's such a, I think that's so cool because it's like, I mean, there are some people that. You know, there are some writers that they kind of have their genre and they don't necessarily do great outside of it. But that's obviously not the case. Um, I absolutely loved The Night's Daughter. And I think it's such a such a cool like sort of piece of your history that 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 was started, you know, at that early of an age. So what's been your kind of experience with releasing that? Like, were you kind of apprehensive about that or do you feel, you know, did you feel already pretty? Because I know you had not started writing in horror. So what what were your thoughts on that? When I released The Nice Daughter, it was definitely more of a passion project than one that I was like, oh, people are going to pick this up. And I'm glad I went into it with that because it's been totally true. I've had very little interest in The Knight's Daughter because people know me for my horror. Yeah. So when they suddenly see this huge shift, they're like, why would I be interested in fantasy? And, you know, that's completely fair. They're two very different genres. So I totally get why people are just like, um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to follow you down that path, but you do you. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I don't, I agree with Laurel. I loved that book. Um, and it's honestly probably the first real fantasy book that I've read in probably seven years to a decade now. Um, because it's not my genre of choice, but, uh, when I find a really good book, um, then I'm all in and, it's something I've been thinking a lot about lately is um, um, how many different people I've been seeing starting to dabble a little bit in there, but you went all the way there and, and you made it work. Um, so I, I'm kind of flabbergasted that it hasn't seen more success, but I understand. Oh, thank you. My ego. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, yeah. Um, uh, I think I was lucky in that when I was little, I had a lot of exposure both to fantasy and horror in equal measure. So it wasn't like I grew up on one and kind of had to transition to the other or had to learn the other. Because, you know, when I was in fourth grade, I was sitting at the table across from my dad reading The Hobbit out loud to him. Um, but I was also sneaking downstairs when we weren't supposed to to watch Pet Cemetery on TV. Um, so... It's kind of like I've always, I've always tried to incorporate a little bit of fantasy into my horror. So switching back to doing straight out fantasy was pretty easy. But like I said, um, especially since it's young adult or kind of it's middle grade young adult, um, it is asking people to completely veer away from what they're familiar with uh, from me and, and look into something that they probably aren't that interested in. Well, for for anyone who's listening, though, this so I mean, the experience of reading it, first of all, I mean, you know that I'm that I'm a huge admirer of your writing to begin with. So it's the Night Sutter is very well written and it's just an extremely enjoyable 
experience, basically. So if you are listening to this and, and have any interest in it and have read any S.H. Cooper, I strongly recommend you pick up The Knight's Daughter um, and give it a shot because it's yours. And I think it was Adam. Oh, God, I'm going to mess it up. Caesar, Caesar, Caesar. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Clown in a Cornfield. Like, I I just hadn't read much in the way of way, YA, basically, before, like, this summer. But Same. both of those, I was very much like, okay, I really dig this. You know, this this <laughs> is just, like, a, just a really enjoyable experience. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on that, and I would recommend it. Yeah. Laurel just articulated the thought I was reaching for in that last comment, just so I don't sound <laughs> totally stupid. <laughs> Um, same I, thing before before Caesar's book, and I fucked yeah. it up for 20 years and called him Cesar. So, you know. <laughs> um, that damn me. But before that, I hadn't read a lot of YA. And honestly, when I read Knight's Daughter, I hadn't read anything about it. I didn't even know it was YA. I, Lord, I'll just said, this is a really good fucking book and good enough for me. I'm in, you know. Um, but fortunately, Laurel is almost always right well so far always right but (laughs) about books let's make sure we clarify that (laughs) well yeah you also are really good turkey i just want to put that thank you i appreciate (laughs) laurel played a turkey for me in in a in a short that i did of back at thanksgiving (laughs) that's what that's from Uh, that's awesome. I need to find yeah. that. Yes, I'll see you later. <laughs> but, uh, uh, the, you know, Sarah, it's kind of interesting that you said you, um, you know, you had written this first one back when you were 11. And I know that it's uh, your newest release, I think, or at least one of the newest. And I was kind of curious, you know, what was the experience? I don't know how much distance was between it, but what was the experience like, you know, now after having, you know, put a lot of your work out there on Reddit and, you know, releasing other books, you know, what was it like kind of going back and seeing that manuscript for the first time and kind of like, working with it you know at a different place in your writing career i never actually pulled that manuscript back out i have it on floppy disks and i have it sitting in paper under my bed in a bin um but i refuse to look at it because it reads like an 11 year old wrote it (laughs) and some 11 year olds might be prodigy writers i was not one of them (laughs) Um, so I had, I knew the story really well because it was one I had tried to revisit over and over and over for, you know, more since I'd stopped writing it. Um, and to finally sit down after so many false starts and have the story start to flow again, it really felt magical, uh, because this was a character that I really love. I love Mary. Um, you know, she's representative of me when I was her age, trying to figure out my place in the world, trying to figure out where I fit in. Um, and so to, to finally hear her voice again and be able to put it on paper, I cried when I finished that first chapter and went, yes, I can keep going with this. Nice. And when I finally put the That's end awesome. on it, there were tears and I sent it to my parents. My parents were huge supporters of Mary. They both loved Mary McThomas um, from the first iteration of it. Um, so when I finished it and they got to read it again, all of us cried. <laughs> That's awesome. And, um, and what a but, but what a voice, you know? How can you not fall in love with that character, whether you are the author or the reader? 
Um, I I also had the experience of being completely in love with her before I finished the first chapter. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people think that she. I've I've heard some feedback that she is um, somewhat boring, and and some of her parts of the story are a little bit slow, because she is very much a realistic girl, and that's always been who she is. She's never been the chosen one. She's never been, um, you know, someone who has secret powers that she unleashes. Um, she's just a girl. Right. And some people find that boring. And I think that is sort of um, what turns some people off to the book, that there isn't some, you know, huge magical reveal that it's just a girl trying to figure out how to save her family. Who In isn't very word, good yeah. at fighting, you know, just to start with, which I'm, I'm sorry, I loved that, that she had to train <laughs> to fight. It's like, you know, I don't know if you've seen that, like, cartoon meme that it's like, my name is Wicker Basket, and, you know, I am... <laughs> I am uh, plain but beautiful, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I can play with, I can fight with every weapon, and oh, but I'm, I'm relatable because I tripped over something, yeah. you know. Which, which hetero white boy will I choose? And it's like every YA novel, everyone. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Well, that's why that was not really something that I entered into. Wicker Basket was not interesting to me, but Mary is. So. That was actually an intentional choice, even as an 11 year old, uh, because when I was younger, I did read, you know, YA. Um, unfortunately, I'm not much of a reader now, which really sucks. I'm trying to get back into it. But when I was still much a reader, it was a lot of, oh, who's she going to choose? And Ugh. and that always like, start, I'm like, why does there have to be a choice? Why does it have to be about a boy? You know, girls can do things and not have like the penis being the shining grail at the end of the lane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> um, which is actually, yeah, like you say, it's it's refreshing not to have a penis in there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but but now I'm I'm just picturing this the scene from the Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail when they find all the grails, like it's just it's just penis, a penis. <laughs> just like nothing but rows of dildos and you know. <laughs> And when the first Nazi comes in and he picks up the biggest, <laughs> the, the longest one, he's like, this is Fucking the one. stones on it. You know. <laughs> and then his face melts off. Yeah. As it would, you know. And then Indy would. comes in and he picks he picks the little rabbit, you know. That, that <laughs> little... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think I'm already coming up with a title for this episode. When <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> YA goes bad, the <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, we're talking about a YA book. That didn't even dawn on me. Uh, well, hey, let's talk YA and dick. There's no dick in my YA. Exactly. <laughs> I was leading toward a point before I uh, (laughs) Um, no I did it to myself I do it all the fucking time Uh, what were we talking about no I'm sorry you're talking about how Mary doesn't have um, power she's just a normal yeah yeah, and that was actually what I loved about that story, you know, is that it turns it into 
much more of a human story. She's just a regular, regular girl um, who has um, extraordinary spirit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and moments of, of fear and weakness, too, which which I really like. I don't know. And especially I feel like that's something that would be important for, you know, for girls who are that age to read to like be able to see themselves in it instead of like you know just to just to really have someone who's relatable like you're gonna be terrified if that kind of stuff happens to you right and that's that's what I wanted to convey um especially now from the perspective of a 32 year old writing um a 14 year old looking back and thinking okay when I was 14 how would I have responded to my dad who I'm very close to being hurt how would I have felt if I was if I could even consider myself responsible for it what would I do um and her siblings are partially based on my siblings Drake is my older brother who is very similar in personality Joseph is more my younger sister um so I took a lot of dynamics from my real life and incorporated them into the story and that's how it really started when I was younger too. It's always been family focused and that's what I've always wanted it to be. Mary at its heart is always going to be about family. Um, and I've never wanted to, to lose that vision and sort of stray into, okay, but what if she's, you know, suddenly the princess of La La Land and, and she has to choose between the dark suitor who just mumbles under his breath and lurks in corners <laughs> or Mr. Perfect over here sitting on, you know, the table. I don't know why he's on a table, but that's right. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's not standing on the bar. <laughs> exactly. He's, you know, he's not Shalon, He's cool. Um, but, you know, she's going to go for the bad boy because that's the that's the message that we're trying to send all young women. If he ignores you, if he belittles you, if he's rude to you and pushes you away, honey, he wants you. Go that's for him. The guy. That's oh, the yeah. guy you want. Yes. The, the yes. fucking holy grail right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you can fix him. You know? Yeah. That's yes, with your that's... love. He'll change. Yes, honey, because you want a project. You don't want a partner. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're all looking for in a relationship, though, right? Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's where fulfillment lies. Contentment, fact, happiness. Exactly. The fact that I'm married to a self-sufficient, independent man with hobbies and interests of his own. Like, I'm telling you, I seriously fucked up. <laughs> I, I'm the one, like, sitting next to me, whispering in my ear, going, hey, hey, are you talking about me? Can you talk about me? Can you just, like, mention that I'm here and, like, you know make it about me because it's all <laughs> that's what I needed but I ended up with an actual adult you know. sorry about that better yeah. luck next time yeah yeah that sucks I did that too I've done that a couple times now keep trying uh, no you want you want that damsel in distress who is gonna have her cleavage out skirt up and she's gonna come in boobs first <laughs> and to speak before her mouth does. Okay, that's my advice for you. <laughs> um, you actually just described my first wife. That wasn't any fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just honesty. Uh. Oh, Lord, let's talk about books some more. <laughs> yeah, sure. Books, I do those sometimes. 
when I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so Sarah, I know that you've uh, you've written stories um, for some podcasts, the No Sleep one, but then you also are a co-writer for one called Calling Darkness, and I was wondering if you could tell listeners, you know, who aren't familiar with that, uh, you know, a little bit about that and kind of maybe the story and the people you work with and kind of what that process is like. Yeah, sure. Um, Calling Darkness is a story about six women who come together for an acting seminar and end up accidentally summoning a demon, as you do. Um, It's co-written with Gemma Amor, who is another author, um, and stars myself, Gemma, and four other leading ladies. Um, And we have a fantastic, I don't even know if I call them a supporting cast because they play such big roles. Um, But basically, it's this group of people who are all very different, end up in this house where they summon a demon, and then they have to figure out how to try and put him back. Um, Go ahead, Rich. I was I was gonna say yeah that's that sounds that sounds really cool and one of the things that I was kind of curious about is because I'm not I haven't listened to it yet but that's one of the first things I'm gonna do um, after this podcast. <laughs> I am I love podcasts and I've been looking for something kind of like that like a like a narrative fiction one. Um, but I also saw too you were doing um, kind of like a you were working on like a retelling of the beauty and the beast, kind of like an audio drama. And I was just curious, you know, do you approach those kind of things differently? Like writing, writing with the fact in mind that, you know, people are going to be listening to it rather than, you know, reading it on the page. You do have to think about it a little differently because uh, with, with prose writing, um, I can describe to you what's happening. I can, I can paint a picture, um, with words when it's audio it's a little clunkier if you have a character sitting there going and she was beautiful when she entered the room she had long strawberry hair and blah 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 so you gotta have to find this balance between making sure people understand what the scene is who's involved but also making it flow so you do have to approach it um with that in mind and it is a little more difficult because sometimes for me anyway I still end up with some lines where I can't think of any way to put it better and then when I hear the actor say it I'm like oh that just sounds a bit weak but (laughs) I don't know how to do it better (laughs) Um, I'm trying I don't know you're doing pretty good I think Uh, I have listened to your podcast um, and loved it, everyone that I've listened to so far. Well, that's why Shane McManley is named Shane McManley. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gemma surprised me. She sounds so incredibly British and proper, and then I read her stories and go, oh, is this the same person? <laughs> you should try talking to her. No, Gemma, Gemma is lovely. Um, yeah. And she was great to work with because we have – kind of we write in similar tones I feel but we come at it from very different directions um, and there were a few times where we had very heated discussions especially when we were co-writing um, the last episode about how to handle certain scenes um, there was one in particular that is in episode um, nine where the characters are mourning the death of um, one of the characters and she wanted it to be this very um, angry scene 
and I wanted it to be a very kind of dark and mournful scene. So we butted heads over that, but we eventually found our middle ground, and it worked really well, I think. I agree. I agree, it did. And and as you say, you're... Um, I wouldn't have even considered them supporting cast before you brought that up, but everybody on there is just absolutely stellar, you know? And the way, for me, the way I judge that isn't necessarily by whether this is a great actor or whatever the case may be. Um, it's that I'm fully engaged when I'm listening. I don't really, you know what I mean? It's like, I yeah. know I'm listening to something, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just in this story. I felt very lucky to have the cast that we did. Um, we had some big names from No Sleep Podcast, David Cummings himself, who is what we call the pod father. He is the founder of the No Sleep Podcast, and he's a showrunner over there. And he lent his voice as Mr. Morewood. We had Aaron um, Lillis, who played Mrs. Morewood. We had Dan Zapula, who I will never forgive for taking that stupid single line about his favorite jacket and running it into the ground. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to this day, it haunts me. Um, but And we had Kate Siegel. Cannot cannot thank her enough for stepping into this very what was you know an amateur podcast because Gemma and I had never written an actual podcast we wrote prose stories but we'd never written a script we'd never written a podcast and we'd never written together um and all the main cast myself Gemma um Victoria and Allison and Des and um Charlotte had never voice acted and the reason we started calling darkness it started as a joke um, we were all in a group chat because we were all interested in getting started as voice actors. And we're going, what if we don't get cast? Because, you know, we don't know if we're that good, blah, blah, blah. And so we just kind of looked at each other and went, well, we'll just make our own. We have writers. Um, Desdemona is a fantastic artist. And, you know, we can talk to people and see if anyone's interested in, in playing along. And we said, okay. And that's kind of the birth of Calling Darkness. It was a joke that took off and became a 10-episode show that will hopefully be getting a second season here not too far off future but Gemma and I both have been very busy since the end of season one so it's kind of taken a back seat yeah understandable because <clears throat> um, you're working on that second book for us and <laughs> the third right yeah actually I do have the second festering <laughs> one started yes uh, <laughs> that is started um I have not started the second Mary McThomas yet but It'll get there when it gets there. Get off my freaking back, mom. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I have a I have a lot of things that I'm working on. I have some story. I have a habit of getting an idea, thinking this is cool to me, and if it's cool to me, I'm just gonna go with it. So I have a Victorian ghost story started. I have um, a fantasy horror started. Uh, I have. The podcast that you mentioned with Elijah Gabriel, um, which is called Through Stained Glass. It's a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. And, you know, I'm losing track. I have I have too many things going on and I really need to learn to stop. I hear that. Um, <laughs> I have more going on now than I know what I have going on. It's I feel you. <laughs> what do you have going on? Let's talk about you for a minute. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have a ton of stuff going on. I'm writing a novella with a, a close friend, an excellent author, writing a novel. I have about 25 fucking short stories going. 
Um, <laughs> and a bunch of poetry all over the place. Nice, nice. Yeah. And Laurel, I know that you have Crossroads. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm super excited to get and read. Haven't yet, but Thank will. You. I feel like I'm gonna. I'm like slowly depressing the entire planet. Uh, every time, <laughs> you know, that the reviews have been very gratifying, but I do sort of like feel bad because I feel <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel like a downer. But you know. so That's I should a... go in expecting tears. Is that what you're telling me? Basically, I mean... yes. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read *Whispers but... in the Dark*, which was a five-star read for me. Um, Thank you. And and I did not come away from t- with tears for that one. No. No. This one, this one, different. Um, still, just as just as awesome. More so, maybe. Uh, but I, pre- I appreciate that. <laughs> I got. I really got to the point with *Whispers in the Dark*. Like by the time anyone was reading it that I was like, Oh God, why? Like it's, it's bad. Don't read it. <laughs> yeah. And it was because you well, were wrong. It bad. was great. Yeah, you're <laughs> wrong, but why, why are you okay with being so wrong? I understand you, Laurel. <laughs> it's because I'm very used to it. It's a very long time to get used to it. But I get, I really do get that. I, I kind of feel that way about festering ones because I was like, Oh, people are going to think faith is boring and dumb and, and she's going to Walmart to get shotguns or flares or whatever, and she's gonna go fight some some eldritch horror with some Walmart flares. They're gonna think she's stupid. I think she's stupid, but I love her. <laughs> I love her too. <laughs> and that's something yeah. else too. When you talk about uh, novellas, um, the ladies are kicking ass in that department these days. Uh, sorry, dudes, but you know. <laughs> You can't need... see it, but we're both taking bows right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you've got Crossroads, which I've read recently, Festering Ones, um, Sonora Taylor's one that I can't remember. Seeing things. Seeing things. Yes, yes, which is almost novel length, but uh, I read it in a sitting anyway. Um, and uh, I just uh, finished uh, Caitlin Starling's Yellow Jessamine last night, which isn't out yet, but is also brilliant. And I mean, every single one of those books is a book that will stay in my memory for years and years and years. So mm-hmm. uh, kudos, yeah. kudos to the ladies. Dudes, get your asses in gear. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to have fallen in with the, the horror community on Twitter because prior to joining Twitter, I was very much solo, completely solo. I didn't have friends um, in the writing community. Um, I was just posting as Pippinacious on on uh, Reddit, and that was sort of the end of it. I didn't interact with readers that much because I just wanted to let the story speak for itself. Um, if people damned me, yeah, I'd, I'd respond, but it was never a long-lived thing. And then Olivia White, who is the CEO of No Sleep, was like, why don't you get on Twitter? You need some sort of presence so that we can, you know, point people somewhere to find you. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not going to use it. You know, my 40,000 tweets later say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when I joined... I immediately found this fantastic community of of like-minded writers, a number of them women, who were out there kicking ass, writing amazing stories, and just really taking a genre that pretty much is known for, you know, Stephen King and Dean Koontz and making it their own. And this year, you know, like I said before, I, I haven't been much of a writer since graduating college a long time ago. And... Um, 
last year, late last year, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to I'm actually going to start reading again, because to be a good writer, I feel like you have to be a reader as well. you got to open your mind, see what other people are doing um, and and see what kind of language they're using and figure out what you think works and what doesn't build that foundation that way. So I picked up novellas to start because novellas for me are much easier to get through than novels. They feel very daunting because I'm a slow reader. Yeah. Um, so I picked up Dear Laura by Gemma Amore. I picked up The Possession of Natalie Glasgow um, by Haley Piper. And both were really good. I read some stuff by Tara Devlin, who is another podcaster, author, Japanese translator, fantastic lady. Um, and just doing so opened up these doors that led to friendships with Laurel and you guys and, you know, all the ladies who helped make Calling Darkness. And it's just been this crazy snowball effect of, holy crap, there are tons of really talented ladies out here. And I want to I want to know them all. And I kind of want to be them all because they're really cool. <laughs> and I feel like that awkward kid at the end of the table who's sitting there like with my little brown paper bag just staring and not really able to talk because everyone else is just so cool. And I'm just like, oh, I get to sit at the table. <laughs> I feel like we're all awkwardly sitting there with, <laughs> right? with our brown paper bags. <laughs> yeah, and that's so funny to me because, you know, every time I bring that up, everyone else is like, yeah, I'm awkward too. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're badass. Like, um, V. Yeah, people just don't know that see the inside. <laughs> yeah, B. Castro for one. She comes off as this super self-assured, really just badass lady who's out there writing Latinx horror. Um, and I just admire her so much, and I'm afraid to kind of talk to her. But every interaction I've had with her, she's been very nice and very sweet. And I see her post things about how she can be really insecure, and I'm like, why? Because <laughs> writers are really weird people. It's like I got I got my very first publication acceptance acceptance just a few months ago, I think. And uh, poor Laurel listened to me crying and being depressed for about two fucking weeks. Oh, like, I was all bummed out because I didn't think it's like this is an accident. This is somebody else's. I didn't, <laughs> I, I'm a poser. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely relate to that because I messaged Gemma in particular. I got close to her through Calling Darkness and I'll be like, Gemma. I fucking hate you. Because <laughs> that girl, that woman is fucking everywhere. She has her, she has like spider arm fingers in every pie that you can think of. And I don't know how she does it because she's raising a kid and she's doing at least two or three podcasts. I don't know. She's writing novels and she's writing novellas and she's writing short stories. And, and you know, honest, I have to be honest though. When I do see that on Twitter and I see all these badass women who I look up to and they're succeeding and they're doing so well, there are moments where I have to step back because it does make me feel like, why aren't I doing that well? What am I doing wrong? Why can't I, you know, do what they're doing? And when I get in those really kind of dark mindsets where I'm just like, everything I do is pointless. And that's something I struggle with a lot. Um, I, I tend to pull back and I go into what I call uh, hermit mode and I don't talk to people and I get I just get really out of sorts for a bit and I have to remind myself you know it's not a competition 
we're in this together. Like they are not my competition. If we're running a race, then, you know, we're all going to go at our own pace and there's no real winner. The only person I have to worry about is me because I'm the only one I have control over. And it does take a few days to get back into that kind of more positive headspace where I can think like that. But there are dark moments where I'm like, when I'm surrounded by so many people who are doing so many really cool things, I just feel like, well, I'm not good enough. I need to, I need to stop because I'm never going to be like so-and-so. I'm never going to have that level. Um, and that is a very real kind of uh, thing that I think a lot of writers in particular and artists and anyone who's in a kind of solo creative field feel when they're surrounded by people and seeing their successes and they don't face their and they don't see, you know, them behind closed doors because we all like to put our best faces on social media. Let's be real. Oh, God, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I practice I, being myself so that anybody who can't deal with me just goes away right out the gate. <laughs> I think I think that you're the exception, though, because I, I, I think I, I agree. I think it's a it's yeah. very much like, you know, kind of. This and and for me sometimes it's a lot about it's not so much about wanting people to think that like you know I'm perfect or my life is perfect but it's part of it's a southernism part of it is just I don't know the way I'm engineered like I don't ever want to be like an emotional burden to people so mm-hmm. like I don't you know I I just want to I if if something is wrong I feel like I need to deal with it you know myself. And not and and it's but yeah. at the same time when I see pe- other people saying like, you know, like oh, I'm sorry, I feel like my feed's been a little bit depressing. I shouldn't do that. Like I'm, I always want to jump on and say no. Like don't feel the need to you know police that for anybody else. You know if this is your, if this is the way you reach out, if this is the way you know, then then I encourage you to do that. But that actually only applies to other people, not to me. Exactly. So. <laughs> I am yeah. the exact yeah. same. And I think. It comes kind of part and parcel of being a woman in the public eye because you never want someone to think, oh, she's emotional. Oh, she can't handle it. Oh, she's going to be like that. And, you know, as a woman, Laurel, I'm sure you know what being like that means. Um, (laughs) And and I do think that is something that women in particular police a lot uh, because we don't want to be seen as, you know, the emotional wreck who's going to fall apart the minute something doesn't go her way. And I think that's why, for, for me at least, I try and put my best face on, on Twitter and my social media. And I want people to think that I'm this, you know, really laid back, kind of funny person who writes about men entering rooms dick first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the times, I am. I am that person. But there's also a shit ton of self-doubt. There is a lot of um, insecurity. There's a lot of having to remind myself, like I said, it's not a competition. Yeah. These people are not your enemies. They are your friends, and they're just doing the same thing you are. I uh, do the same thing. Go ahead. I cut you oh, off. Oh, I was just going to say that um, it's also because, you know, you don't want potential publishers or agents or whoever, if you're reaching out to those sorts, to see the negative side because you you don't want them thinking like I said oh she's that way she's too unstable because no one's allowed to have a fucking bad day I guess yeah. and I know that agents and and those kinds do look at social media because when I was querying for a year um, some of them actually had follower counts that you had to have before you were even allowed to query them which I thought was the biggest piece of bullshit I'd ever seen but 
Yeah, that did yeah. be a norm, though, kind of. Not a norm, but it was prevalent. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it went away. <laughs> I, I don't know if it has. Oh. Um, but, yeah. The querying was, was a beast of its own, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to do it again. I'm much happier being self-published and having full control over my own work. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, but what you just were talking about um, speaks to the systemic problem that we have um, that I talk about far more than most dudes want me to. Um, <laughs> and that is, is that I'm very, very emotional and I air my darkness and I air my depression every single thing out on Twitter. And I don't really mean to. It's just me. It's just what I do. And I'm. That's perfectly acceptable for me to do that because I'm a dude, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. feel any qualms about it. I don't feel like anybody's judging me. Um, I had one guy say, hey, dude, I really I understand that. If you need to talk, I'm here for you. By the way, do you want to publish that poem in my anthology? And, <laughs> you know, it's like I got to believe that women on Twitter crying, it wouldn't be anything to me. But uh, would it be to the same people? You know, would they say, hey, I'm there for you. I feel you. Do you want to publish your story in my book? I think the horror genre in particular is something of a special space. And yeah. maybe this is coming from a kind of rose-colored perspective because I've had very good luck with the people I've interacted with. Um, but even the guys that I've gotten to know through horror have been very understanding and very emotionally available and open. Um, and they're just... And I think maybe because they write about the worst parts of people, they kind of have to understand how to get into that headspace um, and really get into that emotional level. So I do, I do think that makes them a little more open than, you know, a more stereotypical dude would be. But, you know, I, I never want to come off as one of those people who's like, men, bad, men, <laughs> stupid. No, I love dudes. I'm married to one. I mean... <laughs> Dudes are cool, and I don't have any issue with them. Do I have issues with individuals? Yes, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, well, some and, of them just damn well deserve it. So yes, yes, they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't want this to turn into a rant against you know men bad because that's that's not my my thing at all. But I do think men have more of a freedom to express themselves yes. if and when they choose. Whereas being a woman, you do kind of feel like you have to police yourself more in a public space because there are so many um, stereotypes about women. Turbo, get down. Sorry, my cat is being a cat. Um, You're one of the problematic dudes I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, He says, and you're the one who named me Turbo. No, my husband named him. Okay. (laughs) I married a gearhead. (laughs) I named Pippin after Peregrine Took. (laughs) <laughs> um, okay, you need to get down and say bye-bye, Inkheist. Bye. Uh, <laughs> I just forgot his name and I made fun of it. Turbo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do see a lot of a lot of cases, you know, that happen to women other than me where they still get those really shitty DMs from dudes who are like, hey, baby, let me see your tits. Um, yeah. Or, you know, that very unfortunate situation that's been going on with uh, Cassie where she's being harassed because yeah. she exposed someone. 
And I think I have been very lucky in that department because I have no problem with a guy messaging me and being like, hey, let me see your tits and telling him to take his own dick, shove it so far up his ass that it pops out his mouth. Because yeah. <laughs> I was raised to stand up for myself and I'm able to say no, I have no problem with it. Um, and I know other women were not so lucky to have that support. So it's very unfortunate that thing does that that sort of behavior does exist in horror, but I think it is to a lesser degree and that a lot of guys do step up when women are harassed and they do come to their defense the same way other women are coming, which I think is great. And that's why I feel, you know, fairly safe in the horror community um, on Twitter, because like I said, I've, I've been very lucky. Maybe it's rose colored glasses, um, but the dudes that I've interacted with, and the women I've interacted with have all been, you know, on a large scale, very cool people. And it's really a lot of that, too, I think, is that we're a very, I'm sure you've seen it, very much a self-policing community. Um, and, I mean, it tends to, when people do that, even like with what initially happened with Cassie, um, people jumped in and shut that shit down real quick, you know. And mm-hmm. um it was like a concerted effort on the part of the community to jump in and say bullshit to this. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, that helps some. Yeah. That, but like you say, I think your key, the key issue there is that they write a lot of bad people <laughs> <laughs> and they know, yeah. and they know what that kind of darkness and ugliness, you know, they had, they're more empathetic to people who were, um, victim victimized by that sort of thing yeah and i think they may be more aware of it because a large part of writing is research so if if you are trying to write something with a realistic edge you will spend time um researching what you're writing about you know if that's sexual assault maybe and you're not familiar with the fear that comes with that or how it might happen you might research that and that can really be an eye-opening experience um so I think that does play a part in in their empathy and their ability to be like, whoa, like you think it's just you offering to, sh- to show a dick pic or asking for pics or whatever. But it's larger than that. There's a huge systematic issue around mm-hmm. you behaving that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, see, I was wondering, though, and this is totally, totally, totally off topic, sort of, but not um if somebody were to ask you uh, to show them your tits, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, what if you kept a, a dick pic handy and said, sure, but let me show you my dick first? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would not go that route because I don't ever want to want to um, have people maybe misconstrue that I'm yeah. uh, fun of women who have uh, penises because there are women with penises i don't want to play into any type of um fear of of women with dicks because that's not something to be afraid of get over it whatever um no if if they ask me for tit pics um depending on what mood i'm in maybe they'll get a picture of blue-footed boobies maybe they'll get (laughs) a picture of wood ticks Wood tits. Um, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Maybe ticks too. I don't know. <laughs> Here, have a tit mouse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Um, if I'm really angry about it, I'll probably come up with some nasty prose that I'm not really gonna be able to come up with off the fly because I'm much better in writing than I am in speaking. Um, but yeah, it, it just depends on the mood. 
either way, I shut it down. Um, and like I said, that comes from being raised by parents who my first word was no. So that should tell you something about my my ability to uh, express myself in that way. Um, so I've never had an issue with that. But I also um, grew up gaming. And this oh, was yeah, you're before... Yeah, this was before women were as a big a fixture in gaming as they are today. This was, you know, 10, 12 years ago in Call of Duty. Uh, so you kind of have to grow a thick skin if you're going to be playing a game, especially like Call of Duty, with a bunch of dudes. Because the minute you speak and they hear your voice, they're either like, oh my god, let me teach you how to play the game, and I'm going to be so nice to you and give you stuff. Oh, by the way, can can I see your boobs? Yeah. Um, or you get the guys who are like, ah, oh, get back in the kitchen. You don't know how to play video games. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, they didn't realize that I had no issue like blowing myself up if it took them with me. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I've I've never had an issue with it. So if someone were to approach me in that manner, going back to your original question, I'm sorry, I keep going off on tangents. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to your original question, what would I do? Uh, basically, the short answer is I wouldn't tolerate it. No. Yeah. Good. I'm a human being first, but I'm a bitch in a very close second. Um, um, and and you <laughs> you need to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, you know, but. Yeah, I think that's I think a lot of women have to. Uh, they they have to behave in certain ways to feel safe, and. You know, I'm 5'4". I'm a fat 5'4 girl. Um, I, I'm, I don't know how to fight, but I've learned over the years, in the few situations where I've been put in a position where I have to choose between fight or flight, I'm going to fight, which is probably a really bad decision, but mm-hmm. it's not one I consciously make. It's just like my brain goes, okay, we're doing this. Um, and, you know, I'd probably be laid out in one punch. I'm not tough at all. But I think that that goes back to me just not putting up with bullshit, <laughs> whether it's online or in person. Um, I just I don't put up with it. And I, I hate that other women feel like they have to or feel like they have to be nice or or polite or just try and guide a conversation away from being inappropriate. Um, I wish there wasn't such a stigma against women just being like, go fuck yourself and then come talk to me because maybe then your upstairs brain will be working and your downstairs brain will be quiet for a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's only problematic with the dudes who don't have that upstairs brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, internet does seem to give them something of a platform. But like I said, thankfully, horror community, I've not had too much of an issue with that. I know other women who are um, more open with posting, you know, photos of themselves, not even provocative photos, photos with their books. Like photos where where they're just like, I just worked out, I'm sweaty and gross, and they're just trying to show off that they've accomplished something they're proud of. But there's always going to be that asshole who crawls out from under his rock and just like, hey, baby, show me what you got. Right. Uh, I looking for full time relationship. May I sex you? <laughs> <laughs> See, if someone came to me like that and was like, hello, miss. I look for love. You have love. Maybe I would entertain something of a conversation with that person just because I would find it really funny. Right. But <laughs> if you're just coming and you're just like, hey, tits, you're not funny. You're not engaging. You're not interesting. 
you're boring. And that is yeah. like the worst thing you can be. Um, yeah, especially in this day and age of instant <laughs> gratification and everybody wanting to wanting things to move fast and be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought this was going to be about writing, but I'm just like, let's talk about <laughs> everything except that. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever been camping? No. <laughs> but I have a phobia of outdoor darkness and I'm a slut for comfort. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck wants to sleep on the goddamn ground? Not I, me. I, I just, no, it's not a thing. Like my, we used to camp a lot when I was a kid, and whatever you can, don't have any control over that. You have parents. Like my dad took us again when we were all teenagers. First of all, same size tent. We were all adults. That doesn't work. Second of all, I realized at the age of sixteen, I'm like, no, I don't want to sleep on the fucking ground. <laughs> like this is ridiculous, and I never went again. And uh, I feel like that that was part of the things that make me and my husband compatible like fuck that no yeah there's no yeah. camping <laughs> yeah my husband has no interest in camping now he's obsessed with cars who doesn't read doesn't really you know care about writing and by doesn't really i mean not at all um loves cars he lives i'm a garage widow like at least every other weekend he's out in the garage doing his thing i'm in here doing mine um but camping that's a big no like, anything that involves being uncomfortable outside for long periods of time, sorry, no. I, I One of the things that, I don't know, it's probably just one of those moments, but, like, before I met him, my husband had taken his, his uh, elder son on, like, a Boy Scout camping trip and got so irritated with it, he picked up and they left in the middle of the night the first <laughs> night. And they never went back, and I was like, I, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> If you're willing to just tell the entire Boy Scout troop to fuck right off and you're not coming back, like that's that's the kind of man I want to do. Uh, he's now a bigger love. man. He's a bigger man than me just for taking that project on in the first place. He never got me there with all those kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually joking about the camping question. <laughs> She answered anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> See, I, I just thought it was going to end with the once, but then we went off. <laughs> well, I did want to uh, kind of touch on something you had mentioned earlier, and it's and it's kind of a theme that I've noticed um, in particular in your short stories and in the uh, from Twisted Roots. Um, you know that that you have that close relationship with your parents, and I feel like it's it's so fun because there are some of them that you can tell, like you know. Um, I don't think it's the lady and the tiger, but it's like similar to that the where the, of the tiger, the lesson of the tiger. That's right. Yeah. Like I just like, I loved that dad and I kind of felt like, I feel like that's her dad, you know, like I that feel like my dad and the lesson yeah. of the tiger is a real lesson. Um, the whole premise of that story where uh, she learns about her, how her dad used to play D and D with his older brother and his older brother introduced the lesson of the tiger where you sometimes, um, do better in situations by being friendly to something instead of attacking it was an actual game that they played in uh, their D and D session. Um, so it's kind of been a running joke in my family for a long time. The lesson of the tiger, the last bit where sometimes you have to slam a door in someone's face a half a dozen times. That was mine, but I thought it was a fitting addition. It was. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it that was. character was very much based on, on my dad. Um, and uh, 
all all the characters like if it's a positive relationship between family in any of my stories um that's pretty much my family uh my brother's voice which is about an older brother oh who yes rescues yes. his his younger sister that's my older brother um there's another story about a weird younger sister who's obsessed with well not obsessed but she enjoys blood and she becomes a scientist that's my younger sister um there's a story that I have where called Bad Feeling, where a mother just has a bad feeling about something that's going to happen to her daughter and stays up late and manages to rescue her from an attacker. That's my mom. Um, so, yeah, my family plays a big part in pretty much everything I write. I love that because, I, I mean, I feel like, again, you know, I hadn't heard that term before, but I do think, you know, the whole wholesome horror thing. But it was something. So I've, I've been reading All That's Fair. Um <laughs> And, you know, another plug for that, that's, I, I knew it would be fucking fantastic. And it really, really is um, just absolutely love that. I'm probably about two thirds of the way through it. And, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's definitely not every story because there's, I mean, there's a, there's a wide range of it. There's a wide range of tone, you know, subject matter and endings and that sort of thing. But I just noticed that, like, I feel like it's a good, like, you know, if every single story in a collection is like deeply dark and depressing, then I can't read it all in one sitting. You know, I have to like read one and then set it aside and come back to it. But it's like, because there's this variation, I always just fly through your short stories. Um, and so I, I just really, I love that there's that wholesome element to it, that there are those family, because that allows for a huge range, you know, of different stories. If, if the only stories are about families that just absolutely suck, <laughs> you know, then, then, then you're just yeah. kind of, you get in the same kind of uh, theme and tone, but I mean, I, I loved the, the lesson of the tiger. That that's, that's probably one of my favorite ones just cause it's like, especially how mad he got. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to hug him. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Came flying up there to fuck that guy up. Yep. That's definitely <laughs> my dad. Um, but yeah, I, one thing I love about horror is that it encompasses so much and you can play with it so much and stretch it and mold it into what you want it to be. Um, have I been told that I'm not really a horror writer because I have stories that end happily? Of course. People are always going to try and gatekeep and tell you that you're doing it wrong or blah, blah, blah. Um, but at the end of the day, if it scares somebody, that's horror. Like, it might not scare you. Like, I'm not scared of vampire stories. Personally, I think the traditional monsters, vampires, werewolves, zombies, I think they're all kind of boring. They're not my cup of tea. Now, am I going to look at you and say, if you enjoy those, those are not horror? No. They scare you. It's horror. I think as long as the element of the story um, is is mostly focused about being scary in some way, disturbing in some way, um, or it just makes you feel something, like even if it's just uncomfortable, that's horror to me. And the fact that, and I just like happy endings. I'll admit, I'm a staff. I like stories that end on a sweet little note and leave you feeling good. Um, my first story that I ever posted on on No Sleep was called She's a Good Girl. And for anyone who said that I jumped on the wholesome horror bandwagon um, after I started it, I guess. I was going to say, <laughs> weren't you credited um, with it? How's it become a bandwagon? Well, people had had written wholesome horror uh, before me. Obviously, I did not invent the genre. But I was the one, I think, who did it most consistently. Um and that's what I became kind of synonymous with, happy endings, wholesome stories, what have you. Um, but 
yeah, people would say I was jumping on a bandwagon because other people started doing it after Fran and Jock got real big. Um, but my first story that I posted was about a woman who's mourning the death of her dog. Um, and as she's mourning the death of her dog, someone breaks into her house and starts to sexually assault her. And the ghost of her dog bursts into the room and tears the guy's throat out. And it's a happy ending because she has her dog again. Um, so from the get-go, I think wholesome horror has always been something that I've been drawn to and and that I've always tried to incorporate at least somewhat into my stories. And it's always pissed people off. But I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, that's something, too, that, like, this is, this is, like, kind of a constant argument that I've heard. And, like, I don't participate in much anymore because it's just annoying. But it's, like... Yes, I mean, the argument that in order for it to be true horror, it has to be like a bleak ending. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, see, that's just poor writing. You Mm -hmm. need to you need to write where the story takes you. So if you always at the end, like rob your characters of whatever they might have earned, then you're just being a dickhead. Like it's lazy. (laughs) You know, it's lazy writing. It's you're just in the same way that if you have written a story in which clearly the ending cannot be happy and then, you know, Glinda the Good Witch comes down and takes you home in a bubble. Well, then you've fucked up there, too. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, mean, I agree it has to be with earned. that. I at the same time, yeah, it's like, oh, he won. He killed all his enemies and then he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like you said, it does have to be earned. Um, and stories can make you feel more than one way. If you think stories, if you think horror should only make you feel one way. And I feel sorry for you because you're shutting yourself off to a whole slew of I awesome horror stuff out there. Yeah. But I do have issues with people who just try and shoehorn like that happy ending in. And I might get a lot of hate for this, so maybe delete this part if you edit it later. <laughs> um, but House on Haunted Hill, the the show that was on Netflix a couple years back, um, I really enjoyed the first like mm, three quarters of it. And then they totally lost me with the end. Now, I love wholesome horror, um, obviously. So when they did this kind of happy ending, everybody gets what they want. Everyone's in a good place when they end. It felt so, I don't know if you guys have seen the show. Sorry if yeah. I just spoiled it. <laughs> um, no, I've seen it. Yeah, um, same. Great. yeah same. Okay. okay, good. I figured this crowd probably had high turbo. Mm. Um but when they when they had that ending where it ended on such a positive note that leaves you feeling good, um, I just I was so unhappy with that because it did not feel earned. They spent this whole show building up how awful this house is, how it ruins lives, how it destroys families, and then at the end it's like, oh no, it's fine. The the maid mother wants to go back to be with her ghost daughter. Um, the father is actually happy that he got to die with his wife and his youngest daughter and all the kids have gone on to resolve their issues and have good lives now. And um, I was just like that. There was no lead up to that for me. Maybe I missed something. Maybe you'll correct me now and I'll be like, oh, I'm an idiot. Feel free. Yeah, I think you're pretty on. Honestly, for me, I was like really, really cool with it all the way up to the last episode because I kept expecting the shit to hit the fan for all these people, mm-hmm. you know. Nothing to go good because it, it didn't seem like it could. Right. And yeah, then, and yeah. 
Yeah, right. that's exactly what I was what I was saying. Like you expect this really grim ending where maybe one or two of the siblings gets out and they have to live with the knowledge that they went back to this place that destroyed their family and now they've done it even worse. Um but that didn't happen and there was just nothing that made that make sense for me. That really frustrated me. So I think wholesome horror is great, but it does have to it does have to make sense. It has to be done well. That's so egotistical. <laughs> it has to be done at least as well as that. Yeah. For the love of God. But, yeah, that's exactly right, though, man. Yeah. It's why, you know, someone like me can pick up a book like The Knight's Daughter and read it. And it's because it's well done. You know, yeah, um, it's just it's just a fucking good story. You know, well written, engaging, human you know, and that's what horror should be, too. I agree. Um, and and like I said, I really enjoyed most of that show. But that last episode <laughs> totally lost me. I'm trying to think of another example of wholesome horror um, that will maybe redeem me for anyone who heard that and went, oh, she's so wrong. <laughs> um, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, no. Well, anyone? <laughs> yeah, I, I had one that and I'm, I won't call it out here like because actually I enjoyed reading the book. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody. And it was a it was a really cool haunted house book, and it was very interesting, and I really dug it. But like all these people were killed off in it one by one, and you're like, oh my god, this is high stakes, this is intense. And then at the end, it's like they all come popping out of the woodwork. I wasn't really dead, me either. You know what? Me either. Saw <laughs> <laughs> like you drown, motherfucker. No, I was good. <laughs> Wait, no, is this a, no, is this a good. good book or is this? <laughs> I can't tell I, this is an example of good, of like a well done story. Or no, see, this is the thing. It's like that. That's what. That's like the unearned. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah. a, of the like the, the. It's like it's just. I'm sorry. That wholesomeness is weird. You baked that shit at the end of the pie, and it just doesn't taste right. Exactly. You know, none none of that was in there, right? You know. Uh, I, I did think of a book that I oh, read. Oh, go for it. Um, and it's about this woman, and I don't I don't want to give away the ending too much, but it's about a woman, and she's a sniper. And she goes through a lot of shit in her and involves her child at home. And through the whole thing, like you're just like, oh god, her kids. Oh god, her ex husband who's also kind of not an ex. And oh god, her friend. And it's like all these loose ends that look like they're gonna end up just being cut off and it's gonna be really bad. But then it all comes together at this fantastic scene where she overcomes all the shit that had got her there in the first place. And she does it not by herself, but with all the people that are around her, um, which showed really healthy relationships, which was really great to see because so much of horror is also very bleak and people not connecting and that fucking miscommunication trope that I absolutely <laughs> hate. Which should, which should be left in Harlequin romances. <laughs> yes. <laughs> fucking talk to each other. Like if there's a ghost in my house, I'm not going to be like, Oh, better not tell Mr. Pip. Like, don't want to think I'm crazy or anything. Oh, now he's dead. If only I had mentioned that damn ghost. Yeah. Like, no, talk to people. But yeah, so that that's a good example of of a story that ends on a really happy note. But it was earned, and it was really well done. Sounds um, boring as fuck. I don't know. <laughs> it really does, huh? <laughs> 
probably. I'm just like kissing up to that author because I really enjoy her. But you know, if she ever hears this, she'll know what I'm talking about. And she'll be like, yeah, I'm... it's gonna be brownie points. That's what I'm going for here. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I just kind of, I feel the same way with it. Like, I just, I, I. I admit to liking that too. I like the wholesome part. Like, and I, I really like that in a lot of yours, it's not that like everything is completely hunky dory, you know, like there has been something happened, like people have passed through something, but there, there's a lot of human connection in it. And I think that's, you know, it's one of the things like that I, I really have noticed about like Chad Lutsky's writing. Um, yes. Yes. Is that he has a, a very clear to, to my way of thinking when I read his stuff a very clear recollection of how it felt to be like all these different ages and and experiencing these things you know new love or disappointment or bullying or loss or any of these things he has just this very clear recollection and way of conveying it and I think that's why like you're able to create all of these varying characters you know in the short stories that you know male and female and all you know all kinds of different orientations and and places in life and everything and it's like you have that recollection and full understanding of the emotional content of it and so because you know I never got emotionally older than like 13 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all of us <laughs> no i do appreciate that but yeah a lot of times i feel like i'm just bullshitting my way through it like, <laughs> no, I, I do, I do sit down and I, I do try and put myself in whatever character shoes I'm writing. And a lot of my stories do incorporate some part of, of my life. Um, like when I was younger, I was bullied and I've been a bully. Um, you know, there's no excuse for it. It was really shitty of me to be, but it does give me a perspective on why people might act that way or what behavior they might use. Um, so yeah, I've been on both sides of the coin there. Um, you know, it's just a lot of trying to put myself in those shoes and be like, okay, how would I feel? How did I feel when this was going on? And then maybe if, if I'm writing about being bullied, I'd murder the person who bullied me at the end. As you do. Yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's cathartic. It is. Um, well, and what, and I won't, uh, you know, again, because this is a brand new collection. It's not even out yet. Um, you know, I'm yeah. just bragging now, about my some, uh, my some art. of these some of these stories are online uh, because I do post. Um, I do take some of the stories that I've posted over the years and put them in books because okay. a lot of people are not familiar with me from No Sleep. A lot of people have found me through the No Sleep podcast or through Twitter or from Calling Darkness or just the fact that I spam relentlessly on Twitter. Um, so a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are not familiar with my older stuff. So I do put it in books so that they can hopefully enjoy it, um, the same way that, that previous readers had. So yeah, if you have a story that you want to mention, I'll be like, yeah, that's all. Well, I mean, I'll mention it, but I won't, you know, like again, because I, I just feel like if, I think, you know, people should come to this and, and just be able to, um, well, not have me fuck it up for him, but, uh, but, um, uh, so much filler. Um, I read ah, a little yeah. bit earlier this evening and that was just like, it, it was just, I felt like really perfectly, really beautifully done. And I also feel like it should maybe be, you know, taught in high school or something, oh, you. you know, because it, it just really, there's, 
there, I mean, I feel like it's just important, you know, it's important to be said. And that is one of those things that, yeah, you could probably consider it wholesome horror, but it's like, you know, to me, horror is just the overall experience of it. You know, like you said, if you're scared by it, like the fucking limping lady, man, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Her, the fucking I love the song. Woman. She's my friend. <laughs> I have only read through the O'Sullivan song so far. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that one and, um, the O'Sullivan song both just scared the fuck out of me. (laughs) Yeah, so much filler was a very personal one because, um, that's a very, uh, reflective story of how I feel a lot of the time. Um, I, I do, like I said before, I struggle with, with feeling good enough, with feeling like I matter, feeling all those really negative, dark things. And I go through waves, and I wrote that during um, a pretty a pretty big one, um, where I was just in a terrible headspace. And writing for me is, like I said, cathartic. It's it's about getting my feelings down. This is how I express myself. I'm not good with with expressing myself typically with words or or even just like writing to someone in a non-prose way. So for me, storytelling is very much me being able to express those feelings that I generally don't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I kind of realized like what, when we were talking earlier about, you know, like not really feeling like we should express if we're having like a negative time, mm-hmm. you know, like not, not wanting to say that, not wanting that to be part of our public face or persona. Like I, I realized, and this is not any of the, of my books that are in print right now, but it's like, I realized that even my characters were doing that. Like they, they would simply not, you know, and it wasn't like this stoic, like, Oh, I'm broken, but I don't want to talk about my, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's no, like, it. it's like a literal, like, like not even trying not to cry in front of the dogs. Cause you don't want to be a downer to the dogs, <laughs> you know, like kind of shit. And I'm just like, Oh God, they're doing it. This probably mm-hmm. seems like, um, this might be an issue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. I, but I think I think it's huge because it's like, I mean, that means that people reading it, too, can really relate to it. That is something that posting on the No Sleep subforum um, really opened my eyes up to uh, how connective stories can be. Like Lesson of the Tiger, uh, My Brother's Voice, all those that have um, protective male figures in them. Um, people read that and they go, I wish that was my brother i wish that was my father i wish i I could have used that at some point and my it kind of it breaks my heart a little bit to be like i wish you had that too i'm so sorry you went through that but it gives them a space to express themselves and feel safe because everyone immediately around them goes oh do you need to talk about it you can always you know dm me you i've been through it too if you ever need to talk i'm here um and i think telling stories that have that real heart in them that real sense of feeling and aren't just you know ooh spooky ghosts um but the ones that are the most human are important because they're what allow people to realize you know i'm not alone so much filler in particular that was one that was on no sleep a lot of people were like that's that's how i feel that's exactly what i'm going through um and and so it let people know that you're not alone. Tons of people feel this way and you're not weird. You're not bad. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, it's human. You're human. 
And that brings people together, I think, more than than any limping woman ever could. Although I do love the limping woman. I, I do, too. <laughs> she's, pretty, she's pretty fucking fantastic. Well, um, <laughs> I think it, it's important, too, with that, the that, you know, it's not just that you're not alone, but that you're not a burden, mm-hmm. you know, and that that effort of reaching out is like, my God, you know, I mean, the people who love you would rather get that call every day of their life than get another one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. there's yeah. and and having helped raise a teenager like that's just one of these like looming terrors, you know, um, and, I, and I just I think it's like hugely important to express that stuff. And, and it's not. It's not always easy to do in real life, you know, without writing a story. So I do think mm-hmm. that's that's hugely effective. Yeah. And for me, the mom in that story, I don't want to give away the end, but the mo- I guess I kind of will if I say what I'm about to say. <laughs> so maybe I won't say what I'm about to say. Uh, but I will say when my mother read the story, um, she immediately texted me because my parents read everything I write. Um, she immediately texted me. She goes, do you feel this way? And I said, sometimes she goes, me too. And we talked about it. Um, oh, I love that. I love your mom. Too. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> My ma is is fantastic. Ma fucking ma. She's great. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, I don't open up emotionally well unless someone point blank is like, is this you? Do you feel this way? What's going on? Because like you said, it's you feel like a burden and you don't want to feel like a burden, especially to the people you love to the people who raised you and like set you free into the world. For me, um, I want them to feel like I'm well adjusted and independent and I still need them. Obviously they're my parents, um, but I'm okay. But there are still times where when things are just going real bad, the only person who sometimes can make it better is your mom texting you going, are you okay? Yeah. And, you know, if, if stories like um, So Much Filler can make that happen for people, they can send those to their loved ones and say, this is how I don't know how to say what I'm feeling, but this helps. Then, you know, I can fe- I can feel like I've done something that actually matters. Um, and you have, I think, um, pretty much with everything you've written. I mean, it, of course it matters because it's just goddamn entertaining writing, but also, <laughs> also on a deeper level. So I think you mission accomplished there. Thank you. Nothing will top how to write men, though. I mean, that just comes That's straight not. from <laughs> straight from the heart. Straight, straight up. Straight up. <laughs> straight from the back. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's the kind of thing you can send to a, a writer that you're worried about and say, this is how you write. Let's talk about this. You know, we're bringing it out. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think a lot of writers in particular um, don't express themselves maybe as much as we should. We put so much of ourselves in our story and then we're like, OK, I've said what I wanted to say because we've gotten it out. But we've not actually shared what we're going through we've we've put it on a character and yeah the people who are close to us might be able to read that and go oh maybe she's going through something mm-hmm. um but i think writers are not that great maybe i'm just projecting here but i don't think writers are that good at at uh talking about their feelings or or really reaching out until they're at that point where um 
they really, really need it. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. But I think you're right about that, and particularly with that profession, um, it seems like more and more people, more people there in that profession, do not engage when it comes to talking about their own darkness and their own problems. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think it's. There, I think there are probably different motivations for different people in that area, too, though, you know, mm-hmm. um, like for you, you don't want to lay it on anybody. They don't need that shit. It's yours. Yeah. And, but for another person, um, it just might be that they just don't they don't have the courage. They're afraid to do that, you know, because mm-hmm. even even like with me, who's very open it's not courage. It's just that I don't have any fucking filters and I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the world needs less filters, you know, less filters on our pictures, less filters on our thoughts. Unless you don't believe in wearing a mask. Oh God. Yes. Yep. 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 You need to just shut up and stay inside your house and don't come outside until this is over. Sorry. That's another, that's a topic for another time. Absolutely. But, but Filter your germs, not your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Filter that shit, motherfuckers. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, um, I do think I do think we live in a rather artificial age, um, where we spend so much time building personas. And I saw a conversation that was somewhat related to this on on Twitter the other day between some ladies um, who were discussing how they filter their photos and how no, that's not me. That's, you know, I don't have giant anime eyes. I don't have perfect skin. That's a filter that I put on to feel better about myself. This is what I actually look like. And, you know, they're doing these comparisons. And I'm like, honey, you're gorgeous. Why are you... You don't need that. Um, But even when it comes to feelings, we do the same thing. Like, on really bad days, most of us aren't going to go on Twitter and be like, you know, I'm having having a real shit day, guys. We're going to go on and post something funny or we're going to go on and, and do something that will maybe get a few likes more likes than being depressed might get us um yeah. so yeah i think we're a little too filtered about yeah, i agree we genuinely feel and my way of my way of filtering is to go on and say fuck you people i'm out of here bye <laughs> <laughs> yeah mine is just disappearing for a few days until my friends start messaging me like hey where are you <laughs> like yeah I'm here I'm good no worries <laughs> I but, don't um... live there <laughs> <laughs> well mine is bourbon so I'm much healthier than you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Laurel's got the healthiest approach to life out of all of us pressing <laughs> uh, my feelings until I have to write them out in a story is perfectly healthy thank you very much <laughs> I think so. If it's not, I'm fucked too. So. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm all fucked. Let's be real. It's 2020. We can't leave our houses. It's <laughs> so true. But the liquor stores are open, so I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't drink. <laughs> I'm hoping we go back into lockdown because they were delivering that shit lockdown before. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, God. See, I loved being in lockdown for a little bit because I just wore leggings and tank tops, no bra 24-7 
and it was heaven. <laughs> That's what I still do, though. We haven't gone back to work, so this is just... Yeah. Oh, I'm back to work, so... I don't think my boss would appreciate if I showed up in my Christmas corgi leggings and my Calling Darkness tank, which I'm wearing right now. And was like, hey, boss, let's, let's do some legal work. <laughs> My my lawyers don't much care. I think they're just happy that I'm still checking in and doing shit. <laughs> they know I'm irritable, so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Laurel. D. <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really just the one, I swear to God. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I digress. Well, so you have... You've talked about you have so many projects, you know, kind of going right now. Do you have any particular thoughts on what? Don't you love your your book isn't even quite out yet. It's it's you still got like 50 days and we're like, so what's next for you? Right. (laughs) You don't get a rest. No, no. I had someone who read um, the first the first night's daughter book and the first lady night book and. She left a message on the Goodreads, and she's like, I just finished this. When's the second one coming out? <laughs> and I'm like, it was just published in March. Can I breathe? But, no, um, I'm always thinking about what's next, because I think if you, if for me, if I don't think about what's next, I get very complacent, and I'm just like, eh, I'll worry about it later. And then I just don't do anything, because I am, in actuality, a huge, lazy person who would rather just like play video games 24 7 um so i have to think about what's coming next to keep myself motivated so next on the list of things i plan to publish is festering ones 2 which doesn't have a title yet um i'm gonna get started on the second lady night book um Gemma and i are going to start the second season of calling darkness um and I'm also working on the first season of Through Stained Glass with Elijah Gabriel. And I was commissioned to write a story for an anthology. Don't know how much I can talk about that yet, but that's a thing. Um, I'm writing another story for another anthology you may have heard of. Um, it's about all these crazy ladies who think they're wolves or something. <laughs> that's my yeah. understanding anyway. <laughs> There are all these but, crazy wolves that think they're ladies. One of the yes. two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be writing a story for that. Um, I have a couple other short stories that I want to that I want to write. Um, and then, like I said, I have a horror fantasy that I'm ten thousand words into that I want to continue. I have a Victorian ghost story that I want to continue. Those will probably both end up as novellas because I'm finding I really enjoy the novella because it doesn't feel as daunting as a novel. Same. Um, yeah, they're just still easier, but uh, I really enjoy that the shorter stories because I feel like it's easier to read, and I like easy. So, uh, and I'm, I'm into I'm very into gratification. So I'm just like, yeah, yeah, and I'm really into reading novellas right now because, like I said, everything about novellas is just for me less daunting than novels right now. And um, really, they're custom made for the genre. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we were just talking to someone last night. I think John Horner Jacobs, right, Rich? Yeah. Um, and he said he made that point that uh, they're they're 
long enough you can develop the story and short enough that people can just get the hell through with it and go on to the next book. Yep, I agree. So it's got the best of the novel and the best of the short story and packs a, packs that punch like a short story does. Yeah, and it's a little more accessible if you're like me and you're just like looking at a 400-page book going, how am I going to get through that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. reading The Good House by... Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Banana really Reeve Yes, Reeve Thank you. I really didn't want to mispronounce that. I was actually looking up videos earlier, hoping I could find uh, someone who pronounced it correctly, because I really didn't want to make an ass out of myself. But yeah, Banana Reeve I'm reading that right now, and I'm I'm going through it very, very slowly. Um, but it's so good. It's one of those books where it's it's long, but it feels like it's just going by so quickly and, and i don't feel like there are some books i sit down and all i'm thinking is okay i have 100 pages left i can do this i can do this i can get through it but this one i'm just like oh thank god i still have 40 percent left of this book because right. it's so good i'm really into it so yeah if i can find a novel like that i'm golden man just get, just know it's one where it hurts. starts to drag is it yeah yeah for me just about everything she she has written does that with me well, I'll have to add her to my list of authors to return. Well, I was going to anyway, authors to return to, but I'm also trying to do this dis- thing. Also, disclaimer. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer. I, I, um, if Sarah did make a fool out of herself pronouncing that name, it's because I told her how to pronounce it because I don't have a fucking clue. I just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded very convincing. So. Yeah, you sounded like you were so sure. So I'm just like, yes, he knows. He knows what he's talking about. Thanks for man. The name to me. <laughs> uh, that's okay. I, you know, I kind of have a mansplain coming to me because Laurel woman explains my feelings to me all the time. So I do. I'm that. I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm like, well, this is. Oh God, I'm sorry. You're not my toddler. I'll stop. <laughs> feelings are for women. Everybody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't oh know what God. talking about. I got off on another tangent. I'm sorry. I'm really bad at this. <laughs> no, you're really good at this, no. actually. And it's it, one of the things about you that makes me, makes me, yes, I'm one of my favorite people on Twitter. Make, <laughs> um, which is true, but you are too. And <laughs> um, that really, that that is it. You know, you just... Uh, you're so spontaneous um and it really in a lot of ways that comes through in your work too you know you feel unencumbered the the prose feels unencumbered to me and natural thank you that's just a result of me not thinking through what i'm saying and just hoping it comes out right in the end (laughs) and it's uh, (laughs) that whole think before you speak thing never been a burden (laughs) (laughs) right that's uh, not a problem of mine either (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's why i have to be careful because i'm like oh don't make an ass out of yourself you know what's really cool though if we ever write a book together it'll be banned right out the fucking gate so. <laughs> <laughs> page one. Oh no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm always the asshole who has to do this because I have to cook. But 
we have to start thinking about winding up soon. Cooking is for women. You know this, right? <laughs> um, I'm thinking so much trouble because no one is going to hear me say that and they're not going to understand that it's a, a, a powdery men thing. <laughs> it's uh, like, she is a really sexy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Someone walks in right during that. Well, you know, cooking's for women. <laughs> Who the Felix fuck is that? Cooking is for women. <laughs> Sarah Cooper is canceled. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I oh I actually saw trending on Twitter today, Sarah Cooper. I was like, the fuck did I do? Then I remembered I have one of like the most common names in the United States and of course right. it was some other woman. <laughs> but for that split second she went in like, Oh shit, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I never get that. If I get someone something trending with my name in it, it's always just my first name and it's shit like R. I. P. Shane. Oh, cause I, yeah, that was a creepy thing. And it's yeah. like some someone directly tagged me in that said, "Hey Shane, are you okay?" It's like, "Why the fuck would you share that with me?" <laughs> Cuz I'm not now, I'm worried. <laughs> well, now my new goal is to try and get something to do with Shane trending. <laughs> it's probably going to be, be a man writing woman thing and it's not going to be good, but it's going to be you. <laughs> hey, DM me when we're done here. I'm on. I'm on board with that. Okay, yeah. you got it. We'll, we'll we'll start a whole a whole uh DM group chat. I'm gonna... I'm on board with that too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you have to go cook. I have yeah, to so it... sit in front of TV and and watch some more. I think it's called. Was it Butcher's Butcher's Block? Maybe. I don't know. It's one of those shutter shows that I've gotten into, sort of. Oh, huh. Channel Zero? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just got shutter, so I've been obsessed with it. And my husband is like, why are you watching these? Because I keep, I have a habit of turning on just the worst. <laughs> the worst <laughs> stuff. But, you know, it's a life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't judge. <laughs> he can't, you... okay? One of his favorite movies is Toxic Avengers, so. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we love watching crappy horror movies together. It's one of the things that binds us. <laughs> that and the piece of paper we signed saying till death do us part. Yeah, but that's not the important part. <laughs> Our, ours said until we're done with each other. It's for me. No. <laughs> he, no, no. He knew going into this. I, w- I looked at him and I said, you know, divorce ain't an option. And he yeah. goes, yeah, I know. There's only one way out. I said, yeah, you're in the backyard six feet down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's accepted we'll, those terms. We'll, we'll build the new patio over you. <laughs> <laughs> that writing room I always wanted. <laughs> the foundation. <laughs> I'll put my desk over your face. <laughs> Inspiration. He yes, loves. I, um, I miss my husband. He was the foundation of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> he always that if anyone was to look at, at the research I do for my stories or or what I just write in general, I'm gonna be in trouble if anything ever happened to him. <laughs> you know, just dissolve. How to dissolve human bodies. The effects of like burning on a human body, and just all sorts of fun things that horror writers get to do that other people would worry about. Um, 
um, yeah, I guess I can't say I'd worry about it because I just made a note to look that up and see what you find when you look that up. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful if you have an image search on. I, I, oh. I leave. I, yeah. When I had to write a story about a Vern victim, I looked up actual burn wounds, and it's not pretty. No, Disclaimer. it's not. I've seen it firsthand, so. Yeah. I'm kind of hardened to it. Um, but uh, I think also that probably Laurel is going to have to jump in and shut us up because we're never going to shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll be good. I'll go now. <laughs> it's not was just there... you. <laughs> I was never going to shut anybody up. I don't have to cook anything. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you out of the kitchen? I am. I snuck <gasps> out. Oh, my Holy God. Are you at Holy. least barefoot and pregnant? Tell I me am, you are barefoot pregnant. I am barefoot. I am not pregnant, which is why I'm not curled up under my fucking desk crying. So right. <laughs> I, that's why we're all here. I'm clutching my pearls. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Yes. Ending. <laughs> well, is there is there anything else that you want to talk about or say or cover before we go? Yeah. Um. By Crossroads, by Laurel Hightower, by Seeing Things, by Sonora Taylor, by White Pines, by Gemma Amore. Um, I, I'm missing so many people. But also, <laughs> first, by All That's Fair, by S.H. Cooper, because she won't say it, but I will. It's fucking fantastic short Absolutely. story collection. They're okay. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had to think they're okay if I put them in a book and I'm trying to sell it to people. <laughs> Um, and and you're going to be jealous when the Festering Ones 2 comes out and you haven't read the first fucking book because everybody will be <laughs> raving about that one, too. Truth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we love you, Sarah. I love you guys. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. I don't do this sort of thing very often because I feel like I put my foot in my mouth way too much and I talk way too much. But I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you fit right in. Um, let's do a Sarah Cooper, S.H. Cooper Part 2 sometime. Definitely. I'm up for yeah. it if you guys would have me back. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. I'm also really glad you didn't get sucked up into a hurricane tonight. We were actually able to talk. Yeah. I'm really happy yeah. about that. It's just a cat one. Whatever. Yeah. That's what I, that's what <laughs> so I was telling Florida. That's what I told my wife earlier. No, she just said, oh, this is Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we are in hurricane season. This is only the beginning. Worry yeah. about me come, like, uh, end of September, early October. That's when the big ones tend to hit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, crossed. we're ending now. Yeah. No more talk. Okay. Good time. Sarah, love you. Bye. Bye. Love you. See you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs>